From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. I'm Elizabeth Dowdell, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of Secondhand Environmental News. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. In many ways, we are still figuring out what the treaty relationship means to us and how to center it in the stories we tell. This week, we were visiting a summer favorite in the second of two archive shows while the Terra Informa crew takes a holiday break. We'll have brand new content for you next week when we sit down together for a 2019 environmental wrap-up. Until then, let's listen to Terra Informer Dylan Hall interview fashionista and not-for-profit educator Jess Montgomery of Think the World Differently. The interview is one of many the Terra Informa team recorded while covering the 2019 Congress of the Humanities and Social Sciences, the largest academic conference in Canada. We wanted to revisit this story over the holiday season because a central theme of the interview is the environmental and social impact of the fashion industry. We face a lot of pressure to buy new and consume, consume, consume over the holiday season. Whether it's Christmas presents, decorations, food, booze, or just more stuff. There's growing pushback against the mass consumption of sales, like Black Friday and Boxing Day, but we still have a long and complicated system to unravel if we want to mitigate the negative impacts of this kind of consumption. Another reason to re-air the interview, and one that might feel at odds with the first, is the fact that the holidays are also a great time for dressing up. With dinners, parties, and plenty of socializing, it's nice to put on something sharp. As Jess will explain, this doesn't mean you have to buy something new. There are many ways to be an ethical and sustainable consumer while still getting your fashion fix. Now strike a pose and listen in as we hear from Jess Montgomery and Tara and former Dylan Hall on the intersection of fashion and the environment, overconsumption in the fashion industry, and empowering individuals to feel like they can make a difference. Can you first maybe just introduce yourself? Let us know who you are. Sure. Uh, So my name is Jess Montgomery. Um, I'm the founder of a not-for-profit called Think the World Differently, which is sort of an emerging uh, not-for-profit. Our focus is on raising awareness about the environmental impacts of clothing overconsumption, and I do that through hosting educational workshops. Um, And I also write for not just a label, and I speak on issues of uh, overconsumption in the clothing industry. And I definitely want to know more about all of that, but first, how did you come to 
be in that position. Yeah. So it's kind of a long story. (laughs) My background is in the arts. So I have an undergrad and a master's degree in art history, but I've always I've always loved fashion. It was just sort of one of my personal interests and personal passions. And I also I so I grew up on the west coast of Canada. I grew up on Vancouver Island, uh, which you know really kind of shaped me. Like I grew up in a forest and you know around very a very environmentally minded community. When I went to do my master's degree, I was already kind of starting to think that maybe I wanted to focus on fashion history. So I started to go down that rabbit hole and started to learn about how our clothes are made, which also I started to learn about the environmental impacts of clothing and the clothing industry. And that just it blew my mind. And it was a real wake up call for me. And it was this really heartbreaking moment for me that this thing, fashion, that brought, you know, so like so much pleasure and so much joy into my life is one of the most harmful industries in the world. So I ended up writing my master's thesis on sustainability issues in fashion. And then when I graduated, I went back to working in the arts. I got this really amazing job where I was running a gallery. But within like six months into that job, it just became news reports on climate change were getting a lot worse. And it just became really clear to me that I needed to do something. So I I took, I quit that job, I got a part-time job and literally took a year just to read and to think and to do a lot of soul searching to try and figure out like, like what is the thing that I can do, that I can try to help solve this problem. And that's how I came up with Think the World Differently was I felt that doing these workshops, so doing some on the ground education about the environmental impacts of clothing, but then also a, a large part of what we do, and we could talk about this later, is really focusing on empowerment, you know, so empowering individuals to feel like they can make a difference. So you were saying that you were surprised to find that fashion and clothing is one of the worst polluters and biggest contributors to climate change. Um, can you expand and explain how that is? It's a huge issue. And, and so so part of it is that it, like it's a huge industry, right? Like, so there, there's, there's this often, you hear this quote that's like thrown around that the fashion industry is like the second worst industry after oil, which isn't necessarily true. The most recent thing that I've legit, like well-researched report that I've seen is that it's the seventh worst, but then above, above the fashion industry is agriculture, which, you know, that's part of the fashion industry. Right, and you have to grow cotton. Because you have to grow cotton, exactly. Or leather, even. Uh, and transportation. But again, that's like a huge part. Or energy. But that also is a huge... So it's, it's like sort of all these, like, these main industries, like they all feed into the clothing industry. And there, like there's a whole process of how, you know, an idea gets drawn out and how that gets turned into a sample and then working with a factory to turn that sample into like an actual run of clothing. It's so like, it's so interconnected and it's so global and there's so many different levels. It, like, I feel like just talking about it is like almost kind of too much, but it's like, it's how our, how cotton is grown. It's the, uses the most pesticides and herbicides of any agricultural crop. Meanwhile, 
there's more demand, so trees are being cut down to make more farmland, to grow more cotton. It, uh, cotton is also a super, super thirsty crop, so there's all of this other water that people could be using for drinking water or to grow like edible crops. And then there's so many, like the, the amount of chemicals that are used to process the cotton. And so when somebody goes to a department store, they're not seeing any no, of that. No, they're not seeing any of that. They're not seeing any of that. I was at, and I mean, because it's it's, that's hard to communicate, right? I was giving a talk recently where I was kind of speaking to some of these similar issues and this one woman commented that she's like, you know, if I went to buy a t-shirt and there was a label on the t-shirt that said, you know, it used this many gallons of water to make this t-shirt or it traveled this many miles or, you know, this many pesticides were used, like, I would probably think twice about buying that t-shirt. And this is in many ways a problem with all industrial clothing production. Yeah. But I'm curious how the worlds of high fashion and fast fashion particularly play into this. That's a complicated question, yeah. too. <laughs> I So I kind of, like, I have a lot of beef with people that claim that this is just a fast fashion issue. It's the entire clothing industry right like the 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 fast fashion is an issue because it is this focus on like new clothes in store like every week but in terms of how clothes are manufactured like the luxury industry is terrible Mm -hmm. the luxury items are sold sort of on the like the prestige and the idea of what these brands stand for but meanwhile most of the like the clothes and handbags and shoes or whatever they're not all you know if it's an Italian brand it's not necessarily all made in Italy anymore Um, it's often made in China where I mean the quality of garment production in China has gone way up and it's not necessarily that everyone's you know being abused in China but it's also harder to regulate and it doesn't just affect the environment horribly but it also affects people exactly the way that designers design for particular bodies. And could you maybe speak a bit to how sometimes environmental issues are pitted against social issues, but how then the fashion industry in many ways is harmful for marginalized communities? Yeah, yeah. I I come from this perspective that uh, like everything's connected. And so I don't really see how you can talk about environmental issues without also talking about human issues mm. and that that means like the rights and the the plight of garment workers but it it also means people that are buying clothes in terms of yeah like the the fact that clothing is designed for super skinny bodies and to go it's also like quite classist like the kinds of clothes that are designed are often not you know, the clothes that you would wear to go to work. The work that I do is specifically focusing on the role and the impact of overconsumption. And that's not to, it's not to take away from or to belittle the, like the really positive changes that are happening in some ways in the industry that there are really, I mean, there's a lot of greenwashing that is happening, but there also are a lot of, legit efforts to you know upgrade factories to use less water or to cut out hazardous chemicals or to transition to organic cottons or just 
you know, kind of any any of this long list of changes that the industry can make. But what I found for myself is that as an individual who wants to make a difference, like it can often feel like there isn't a place to contribute to that kind of work. And the the reality is that in spite of all of these, you know, positive changes that are happening, the industry is still built on a model of growth. So they are still working to these quarterly profit margins and the industry is in a st it's currently in a state of 5% per year growth and that's estimated to continue to rise for the foreseeable future. We don't need that many clothes. Like 80 billion new items of clothing are bought per year, right? Every year. Yeah. And like there's 7 billion people there's and there's 80 billion, billion. And there's 80 billion items of clothing. And that right? buying is very unequally distributed amongst super, those 7 billion people. Yes, it totally, totally is. And those clothes aren't just piling up in people's closets, right? Like those clothes are getting thrown out. And then even this idea of, you know, like it's okay if I buy this because I'm just going to give it away. Like where are those clothes going, mm -hmm. you know? And I'll tell you, they're mostly going to Africa. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah. then what happens? Like, like, like shiploads, like crates of clothing. It actually created this industry where people would go and, you know, get, like they'd sort through and pick like the best quality and then sell those. But the impact of that is you know, decimated local fashion industries. And I imagine a huge amount of the clothing isn't actually used. Yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. Overproduction is huge, huge, huge issue. I really, like I see individuals, like that's our place. That's where we can have impact, partly by buying less, but it's also an arena to have a voice and to have impact by cl clearly expressing that that's not the kind of industry, fashion industry that we want to have or that we want to support. Right, because there's ripples through people's minds about what they think is acceptable or not acceptable that have created in some ways yeah. this mess or reinforce it at the very least. Yeah, <laughs> maybe this is a bit like overly idealistic, but I sort of see it as an opportunity to take the power back there is a sort of unequal divide of between between the industry and between you know individuals of like who, whose fault is it like is it the industry's fault for making too much stuff or is it our fault for buying too much stuff which i think is a pointless argument like it doesn't really matter whose fault it is but then like another layer layer of that is the impact of advertising which has very, very, very real impact. And clothes are advertised to us nonstop. And there's, you know, so much research and so much evidence about so, like how like behavioral knowledge and studies are being used to create this advertising. So it literally like bypassing your rational thinking, like cognitive brain. And so becoming sort of more cognizant of that and more aware of that does, I think, open up this opportunity to take the power back. And in many ways, I get the sense that that lifestyle change might just be good for people too, to like spend less money and exactly. not need to consume so much. And that's like, I mean, that's one of the things that I like to reiterate is I, like, I'm not anti-fashion at all. I love clothes, like I love fashion. And so extricating yourself from that, the, that like constant, like I need, I need something new, then 
It allows you the opportunity to focus more on like what clothes would make me happy, you know, what is something that I would want to hold on to forever. So responding to the unsustainable horror of the fashion industry <laughs> doesn't mean giving up on that pleasure that got you into this in the first place? I, I mean, I definitely have my moments. <laughs> I have like I have moments where just the mainstream fashion industry just really gets me down. Like to go to a really personal level, like like I've bought Vogue magazine my entire life and now it's really hard not to look at it with a really critical eye. But it also feeds this part of me that like I like their fashion editorials and I like their little articles on, you know, plays in New York. If you feel critical of something, it's hard to take that step to give up something that feels like it was a part of you or formative mm -hmm. for you. So do you have any examples of non-mainstream fashion producers or ways that you'll go to find the pleasure of fashion without the... I, so I spend a lot of time on Google. <laughs> I haven't found, like, for so for mainstream, there's, you know, there's websites like Net-A-Porter or Matches Fashion that, you know, kind of have, like, all different kinds of brands. That doesn't really exist for ethical or sustainable fashion in the same way. So it is a lot of like have, having to find individual brands. I, the, so the, there's an app or a website uh, called Good On You, uh, which is quite, really quite good. It rates different brands on their transparency and sustainability. I don't always agree with their rating system, but it's a good sort of base point and it's actually a really great resource to learn um, about issues in the industry and about some of the brands that are making an effort to be more transparent or to be more sustainable, or more ethical. And one struggle with any smaller ethical producer is yeah. that it can be quite expensive. Yeah. There was a woman that I had the chance to speak to who was talking about different kinds, I guess, or socially perceived kinds of environmentalist, and she was talking about what she coined the green avocado toasters. <laughs> and <laughs> she was talking just about how, like, there's this class of people who are able to buy away their guilt because yeah. they can afford the organic food. And yet, ironically, they're often the same people who have, like, the highest carbon footprint because they also have the large home and yeah. just spend more money. And yeah. the more money you spend is often related to the size of the carbon footprint that you yeah. have. And so I'm curious at your take on the difference between, like, reusing clothes and going somewhere like Value Village and looking for an independent producer and yeah. maybe it doesn't need to be one or the other but I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah no totally I'm a bit of like two minds on that a little bit it does it does cost more if, if you're paying people a living living wage so say for example you're a designer in Alberta the ideal situation is that you're employing people to make those clothes in Alberta so that living wage like if it, if you're if you're making a dress and it takes a day it takes eight hours then you're also paying for notions so like zippers and buttons and thread you're paying for the material and then if you're running business like there has to be a markup on that so that very easily can turn into like a five or eight hundred dollar dress right which not everybody has the money for if you buy less and if you save up for those quality well-made pieces but again i also recognize that there's you know for different income levels saving up for an 800 dollars piece 
is a lot easier for some mm -hmm. people. It's totally not possible for other income levels. The other part of that that I was going to say is that if like if you only preach reuse, what like what about all the kids right now that want to be designers when mm -hmm. they grow up? You know, like so there there has to be a place for both. There has to be a place for design and new clothes and creativity and innovation, those clothes have to be made ethically and responsibly. But as individuals who are buying clothing, it can't be about buying new clothes every week. And there has to be a, like a, a mentality shift that you buy clothes that you're going to wear, if not forever, for the foreseeable future. And it's really interesting to think about something being $300, $400, just including all of the actual costs and yeah. everything else that's being produced cheaper, externalizing those costs and having them be born elsewhere. Yeah. And both options, I think, are much better than spending $1,000 on a shirt and only wearing it twice. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because you've been talking about growth. The whole industry is based on growth and they yeah. have to meet their quarterly report. Yeah. And that's true of all of the other industries that the fashion industry is tied into i in many ways think that that's like been a root cause of climate change and everything totally it's just agree. having an infinite growth-based economy yeah i guess what do you think about that and also like why do you think that's not talked about very much <laughs> like that doesn't seem to be something that comes up very often i yeah i don't know that's the million dollar question yeah. <laughs> i agree I feel like it is the root problem. I feel like in so many different hot button issues today, people are starting to talk about these issues as being systemic, which I find so encouraging that we're actually recognizing that these are like systems wide and like systems deep kind of issues. I'm, I'm not an economist and I don't pretend to have any like expertise in that or like political theory, but just from being a person that looks at the world and thinks about these things, overconsumption isn't just an issue in the clothing industry, right? Like this is an, an issue that's that we see everywhere, like mm -hmm. across industries. One of the areas that I've been doing a lot of reading and research into is sort of this issue of uh, values and materialism. Materialism as a value is people uh, focusing on status uh, and power and things. The more materialistic that people are, uh, the less that they actually care about prioritizing the well-being of the planet and prioritizing the well-being of people. Again, like this is just kind of my personal opinion, but I think that the, the avoidance of talking about that is that if we start to talk about that in a real way, we have to talk about our political systems. We have to talk about our global economic system. Mm. We have to start having those conversations. But it's I mean, if you look at the resistance that we have to even talking about climate change, totally rewriting our global economic system isn't going to be an easy conversation. Yeah. So without looking for any silver bullet <laughs> solutions within the behemoth, um, how are you? Yeah, this is something that I, you know, I struggle with myself a bit is feeling like, you know, what impact can I have? Right. But I also I really do think that individuals can make a difference, you know, because it's it's individuals acting together that makes a difference, right? Like it's it's our collective actions that have gotten us into the mess that we're in today. So it's our collective actions that can 
get us out of it. So if you are a designer, what can you do? If you're on the like production end, what mm. can you do? And if you're a person who's shopping, how can you shop differently? How can mm. you shop less? But these issues are so, so big. It is so much bigger than an in, like one individual person, and it can be really hard. I just recently was um, introduced to the idea, the concept of climate grief, mm. and I, when I learned about that, that like this is a real thing, and that people are suffering from climate grief, I like I sort of had this light bulb moment of being like, oh, that's what I have been feeling for I don't know how long. Huge, like huge, just grief. Like I, there isn't there isn't a better word than that. Just at the stupidity of it all you know and the harm that we are having upon the planet the the like ecosystems that are being destroyed the animals that are dying that had nothing to do with any of this that they have no choice like the fact that i maybe want to have a family and the fact that i even have to think you know about whether ethically i have the right to have children like it destroys me i think that making space for that grief, I think that that's really important. And I think it's something that more of us need to do and more of us need to talk about because it is real and it impacts how we move through our day-to-day -day lives. But I also, for me, it's the fight. It's about the fight. It's mm -hmm. about believing that we collectively, that humanity still has the potential to become like the best version of ourselves that that isn't lost and that's like I'm, I'm talking I'm talking about clothing and I'm talking about overconsumption but really at the end of the day what I am actually talking about is belief that we can come together and that we can lift each other up and that we can unify and that we will recognize and understand like understand that we are connected to each other and that we are not separate from the earth i've heard a really interesting distinction between depression and grief yeah. where depression can be really really numbing and grief in many cultures is accompanied by a keening wail and is very loud yeah. and active in yeah. many ways and yeah. so that grief could be something that potentially stimulates your ongoing critical interventions yeah in yeah. in the world that's a really that beautiful I, I, yeah it's a beautiful way of looking at yeah. it and yeah thank you for sharing that with me that yeah. was really powerful i definitely feel grief a lot myself yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard, right? Like it's what we have already lost and what there is to lose, you know, and falling into that like trap, I want to say of just, you know, we're screwed. Like, what do you yeah. do with that? How to feel grief without the fatalism. Yeah. Yeah. We're not often given that space in school, let yeah. alone in university. Oh my gosh. <laughs> No, no feelings. <laughs> help them. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? No, I that was that was amazing. Okay, thank yeah. you so much. Thank yeah, you so much. That was such a great conversation.
That's all the time we have for this week. If you have questions or comments about the show, send us an email to Tara at cjsr.com, tweet us at Tara Informa, or check us out on Facebook. To catch up on the latest environmental news, visit our website, terrainforma.ca. Thank you to our volunteer and Terra Informer, Sophia Osborne, for helping out with this week's episode. Did you know that Terra Informa is entirely volunteer-run and survives because of generous donations to our host studio, CGSR? Think about visiting cgsr.com to learn more about the station and consider a donation to keep environmental news like this on the air. Once again, I've been your host, Elizabeth Dowdell. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll catch us next week. Same time, same place, on Terra Informa.